You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. And let's read 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. And yes, Joe, you'll be proud of me. This is ESV, the extra save version. So... Would you follow along, please? 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Would you pray with me? Father, we, we just give you thanks. Uh, Father, I'm just so thankful that you've given us your word, that we can know you personally as we navigate life here, Lord. And Father, I just, as I look at your truths from your word, I just lift up those that don't know you. And Father, I just, my heart aches for people that are trying to navigate life without you as their, their guide, Father. And so we just celebrate your goodness your word. And Father, I pray today as we navigate uh, looking at your word <clears throat> that you would speak to our hearts, that you would transform our hearts, and that you would bring us more into your image, Father. So we lift this time up to you. Uh, would you guide, I pray, Lord, my words, my thoughts, may they bring you glory. And Father, we ask this in your name. Amen. Please have a seat. <clears throat> so, there are certainly lots of examples that we can use of what love is not. And we're going to start off with about a three-minute video that I think exemplifies very well what love is not. And as you watch this, it goes pretty quickly. Hopefully, it will, Bryce, I think, will turn it up a little bit so we can hear. There might even be closed captioning. Joe, I mean, uh, any of us might need that, or I guess I probably do. <laughs> um, <laughs> I do encourage you to really listen carefully, though, because this is an example of what love is not. Affectionate nickname for husband asked in a question? Distracted affirmative answer. Question about whether or not you completed a mundane task? Distracted affirmative answer. Sigh. Follow-up question about a small detail. Detail of the task to prove that you actually completed the task? Sudden realization of what you are talking about <laughs> quick excuses about the small detail to hide that I was both not paying attention and did not do what you wanted. Accusing response. Defensive answer. Listing the times you behaved this way before. Or weak excuse. <laughs> Explanation of all I do for you in a 24-hour period. Explanation of all I do for you in a 24-hour period pausing moment where I realize I don't actually do that much. 
escalating tone as I state my disbelief you did not complete the simple task from earlier. Raising my voice as I repeat my lame excuse for not doing it. <laughs> Telling you not to raise your voice while raising mine as well. Calling your maternal parent. Ignoring my female offspring and explaining how nagging you always are. Equally ignoring her as I gasp in disbelief. Yelling for paternal parent. Continuing to ignore her and bringing up the fight from the summer of 2002 where it was decided that you were actually the one to blame. <laughs> Smugly inquiring, if you recall said event. Reluctant acknowledgement. Sports reference, confirmation of points received. <laughs> Frustrated grunts followed by a statement about your brain capacity. Accidental agreement. <laughs> Parental guardians. Frustrated and questioning, questioning response. response. Asking for permission to do something you've already responded negatively to. Desperate repetition of daughter's name. Focusing my pleading on my paternal parent and changing my physical appearance to remind him of when I was a little girl. <laughs> Starting to side with my daughter. Negative response, restating my disapproval from earlier. Statement about how differently I will treat my own children someday that will never actually be realized. <laughs> Disbelief that you would take her side of the argument over mine. Statement of finality explaining I will not continue this discourse. Indifferent response. Beginning my brisk and dramatic exit. Request to stop exiting. <laughs> Question about dinner? predominantly in the male. This is time where you can shout out a couple. What are some of the, na uh, some of the motifs that are not showing love? Yeah, definitely. What else? Say it again, Charity. Okay, so trying to basically win the argument, if you will, and taking someone's side maybe helps them win that. Sure. What else? <laughs> trying to fit. Well, there could be a happy resolution to that too. What else? The one major core, a couple core ones I think we're missing. Uses, yeah. The others? Difference, yeah. How about laziness? He sat there on the couch looking for his remote, wanting to keep it, do as little as possible. Selfishness, serve himself. And more than the other person engrossed in the TV show. And one of the big ones, pride, to be right and justified. Remember 2002, <laughs> not going to forget that, that he was right. So being right and justified. Impatience, <clears throat> putting personal desires in front of the other person. So as funny as it is, it's really sad, isn't it? Because it shows the state of our condition, of our human condition, our sinful nature. And so... I think it's a great way to start, um, start a message on what love is because we clearly see what love is not. And so I'm going to read one more time back to our core verse 
um, of what love is, and then we're going to dissect that a little bit more detail. So 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7, follow with me again, is love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen. So we're going to take a look, and you've got on your, uh, hopefully at your table, you've got some notes, tried to provide some sermon notes, a little bit of fill in the blank, along with some notes to guide you as well. So we're going to take a brief look at what love is, breaking it down just a little bit before we move forward. So love is patient. We had an opportunity to model patience, didn't we, as the computer sits there and spins? Yes? So that was built into the message, all right? Thanks, technology. <laughs> so patience, in essence, by its definition, is to accept or tolerate delay. We awkwardly did, didn't we? Uh, to delay trouble or suffering uh, in getting angry without getting angry or upset. And so, like I said, the Lord gave us an opportunity to actually practice that already. It also, I think, a way of looking at it is it puts another person first. In that married couple's example, were they putting each other first? Definitely not. What's his last comment before she goes into the kitchen? Yeah, dinner. Thinking about himself, dinner. Love is kind. Kindness. What kind of words do we share when we're kind? Typically, if we're following what God calls us to do, affirming words of encouragement. Love does not envy. <laughs> it celebrates the other person's victories. You know, I think in our household, I have something that makes my wife and my skin crawl is when we hear some of our kids say, that's not fair. Ooh, that's a way to get steam coming out of our ears. And I, when I hear that, I just cringe because how about we celebrate the blessings with our brother or sister? And typically it's out of jealousy that we respond to that. That's not fair because we feel justified that we deserve more. So that's a horrible thing that we want to get rid of. And if we think about it in the context of our Savior, do we really want fair? Think about that. Jesus died for our sin. Is that fair? Certainly not. Love, is, uh, love does not boast. You know, uh, I'm in the uh, classic car business, as some of you know, and uh, it's interesting. <clears throat> Obviously, we restore Corvairs, what we do. And so I go to some of these car shows. It always amazes me. Every time I go to these car shows, we'll bring one of our cars, and people come up, and they really don't say anything about the car that I brought, which is okay. We're just doing this for business. But immediately it turns to all about their car. And I tell you what, that can go for 20, 30 minutes forever and ever and ever and ever. Um, but it's all about, it's just inherent, I think, in our sinful nature that we are always inwardly focused. When these things happen, these times happen, I have to, I have to dig down deep and just view this as an opportunity for me to practice patience. Uh, it's not, Lord, give me patience. It's, Lord, give me opportunities to practice patience. And I get the opportunity to practice that and be patient with them. So as we seek to model Christ's example, we need to be humble in knowing that every good and perfect gift is from above, as James 1.17 tells us. Love is not arrogant or rude. On the flip side, it is polite and courteous. Uh, love is not insistent on its own way. Once again, putting other people's needs above our own. Love is not irritable or resentful. Patient. In other words, and also it's not legalistic in keeping tabs of who, score, who has more scores in the receiving end. Love bears all things. 
Love silently endures whatever it has to suffer, believes all things, takes the best and kindest views of all men with good conscience, hopes all things, that God will bring good out of evil and that all of the evils of this life will ultimately triumph for good. And lastly, love endures all things, steps up under difficult circumstance, sustains and does not complain, and is unshaken in the confidence and goodness of God. So those are what, that is what love is. Now if we look at what love is not, we're going to look at the flip side of that. And we won't go through every one of these, but many of them. Is love impatient? No, it is patient. So it's not all about me. Love is not impatient. Love is not mean. Putting others down to make me feel significant. That's another one that makes our skin crawl at our house. We tend to like to do that. Put somebody else. As long as there's somebody below me, I feel good. So I'm going to be mean. I'm going to put them down. Not true. Love is not proud, feeling satisfied from one's own achievements, qualities, or possessions. We have to remember anything and everything that we are able to do or accomplish is because of God. He is using our giftings to point toward himself and for his glory. Love is not arrogant or pretentious, seeking greater importance of oneself. And love is not selfish. And the whole key in all of these of what love is not is what? Me. Correct. And the list goes on. Just turn on your TV if you need more examples. Um, we've always joked, if, if you think people are naturally good, you're welcome to join us on our vacations and spend about the first hour in our vehicle, and you will not believe that people are naturally good. I love my children. Uh, however, our natural state is not good. And so... One more time, we're going to look at what love is. One last time. I'm going to read again from 1 Corinthians 13, 4 through 7. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Amen? Amen. And let us not forget God's perfect example. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And Romans 5.8 But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So as we move forward, collectively, a calling for all of us as Christians as we look at the scriptures, John 15, 12 says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Matthew 22, 37-39, And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 35, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. You know, I think about that, just living in the world, how often, what is the main thing I think that deters people from following the church, hearing the message of Christ? That is hypocrisy. And I think our hypocrisy is in our attitude often of, of others around us. Do we really love them? You know, it's pretty hard to love people that betray you, that slander you, that do all those types of things. But they see us sin and talk badly and not love others. We know that love will speak to them if we actually share it. 
But I think that's one of the greatest deterrents of, of the gospel is seeing people looking at us as we fall short in those capacities. And at the end of the day, we know we'll never measure up. But I think it's important that we do seek to love our neighbors. Over the years, as I continue to seek and know the Lord, I have seen how God has given me a love for people. Now, that isn't to say that I don't get annoyed by people, or to be quite honest, not really want to be friends, best friends with a lot of people. But God has given me a heart for his people as he has called us to love one another. I have to share this story. There's At my old shop on 2nd Bellevue, there's a, an older gentleman. His name was Gene, and he lived south of Hastings in a small town. And Gene used to come into my shop quite frequently, and he always, this is back when we did ATVs, and he would come in, and I'd have an ATV, and I've always been a no-haggle place. The price is what it is. You can take it or leave it. No extra fees. So he comes in, and he's like, 3000 is too much for that ATV, Chris. And I said, well, I'm sorry you feel that way, but I think it's a fair price. He goes, I'll give you $2,200. i will say, well, I appreciate that, Gene, but the price is $3,000. And he'll go bantering back and forth. Next thing I know, he's sitting at my desk. And Gene, I have to tell you, I had to pretend Gene was Jesus. Because Gene was very, very irritable. <laughs> Irritating to me. Gene was not attractive. Gene smelled. I remember one time when Gene was sitting across from my desk. And his teeth, what teeth he did have, something came out of his teeth, landed on my desk. And I'm just like, oh, earth is that? There was food in his teeth that hit my desk, and God just gave me the opportunity. As gross as it sounded, and I don't mean to bash Gene, but I had to really pretend he was Jesus. I really did, because what I want to say is, dude, that's gross. Get out of here. But I, I tried to just pretend he was Jesus. And I'll tell you what, that has helped me often if I just pretend that someone is Jesus, because every one of us is precious in God's sight. And that's something to really easy to forget in the middle of something like that. So he gave me an opportunity to love him, and I pray that that's why he kept coming back, because it was pretty much the same conversation every time he came back. So I'm hoping that it was the fact that I listened, and I tried to love him, that he did come back, not that he, he never did buy an ATV. And so I'm hoping it was just that I was able to communicate God's love to him, I pray. Another thing in the Truth Project, which is some, uh, something the men's group are going through that they've talked about, is thinking about how many people in our world are held captives captive to the ideas and belief of our culture that are embedded in their thinking. And if we think of those people as prisoners of war, it gives us compassion. If I think of them with that kind of compassion, then I have an easier ability to love them. Instead of getting mad and irritated, seeing that they are lost and they are captive by the lies of the world, and that I have the capacity, knowing God's truth, to love them where they're at, and hopefully, ultimately, share the God's truth with them. So I don't know. I hope that helps you. That's really helped me over the years. Husbands, we have a big one. I know you've heard it before, but God has called us in Ephesians 5.25 to husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And here's the part that really gets me. And gave himself up for her. I'll read that again. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Whew. Not sure I want that responsibility. I'm grateful he's entrusted me, but I know I fail. There's not a day, rarely a day that goes by that I'm not convicted by Christ's example of how he loved his bride. As I observe my failures, I pray to God to hear his voice and hope that he will transform my heart so that I might be able to demonstrate at least a portion of this love that he has poured out for me for my wife. May it be so. 
There's a gentleman named, and some of you might be familiar with, named uh, Dr. Gary Chapman. You may have heard that name. He wrote a book called The Five Love Languages. Um, as I go through some of this, I'm gonna, it's primarily focused on marriage examples. However, I really believe that nearly all of these concepts can easily transpose into other relationships with family, with friends, with children. Um, and so keep that in mind. A lot of it's directed at married couples, but it can transpose into those different areas too. On an interesting side note, this book was released in 1992. And I have to tell you too, from the lips of Gary Chapman, he said in the first year it only sold 4,000 copies. Now, Wikipedia tells you 8,500, so I don't know. I'm going to go with Gary. <clears throat> but he says 4,000 in the first uh, year. It's been out for almost 28 years now. Over 11 million copies have been sold, and it's been translated into 50 different languages. So I find that, the reason I find that compelling to share is because God created us in his image. We desire to love and to be loved. Our enti the entire world, doesn't matter what culture you're from. And so it's a universal thing that we seek and we desire, and unfortunately, without God, we're lost. And so I share that just an interesting fact. So in his book, Chapman states that there are, there, each of us has a primary and a secondary love language. Dr. Chapman has found that understanding your spouse's love language, he says, quote, will change the whole emotional climate of the marriage. He talks specifically about a love bank. Um, our goal as a loving spouse is to fill up our husband or wife's love bank. So we learn their love languages and we keep investing into their love bank to sustain them and to make them feel important. So we have to be intentional about de our deposits into our the love bank as it is an expression of love to them. Philippians 2, 3, uh, excuse me, Philippians 2, verses 3 through 11 reads, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbly he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee shall bow in heaven and on earth and under the, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen. So as we look at these five love languages, by the way, as I present them to you, they're going to be in order of my preference, <laughs> which, ironically, as God has challenged me, are pretty much the inverse of my wife's. So number five, for you can talk to her, but number five for her, or for me, is one or two for her, and vice versa. So he certainly challenged me in those ways. So number one for me, right up at the top, is physical touch. And that can range from just a touch on the arm to complete physical intimacy of a married couple. Words of affirmation, using words to build each other up. Quality time, translated means undivided attention. When a couple experiences dialogue together without distractions, that is actual quality time. Taking time to talk and actually listen. And I think you've seen, I know Joe's modeled this before, when we take what we've heard and we share it back to that person. Because just like the guy in the show, did he really hear? Wah, 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 wah. 
So I think that's another great technique that we can share too, or we can utilize in our marriages or relationships. Number four, acts of service. All right, we're getting pretty low on my list of things. Doing things that you know the other person will appreciate. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean mowing the lawn, which is kind of what you do maybe. It's investing into their bank. So what is important to them? This is a real struggle for me. And one thing I have learned is that it often does not include, yeah, things that naturally come easy for me. I have to really think outside the box and I'm, box and I'm completely convicted all the time about this. And then the very last for me, gift giving, receiving gifts. Eh, whatever. That's very high on my wife's list, and that's something I need to realize. It says, he or she was thinking of me. Dr. Chapman also points out that to love someone for a lifetime is a choice. To love someone for a lifetime is a choice. Ever wonder why the divorce rate's so high? It's a choice. In my Bible study, in the reference to the 1 Corinthians, it says, Our culture confuses love and lust. Unlike lust, God's kind of love is directed outward toward others, not inward toward ourselves. It is utterly unselfish. This kind of love goes against our natural inclinations. It is possible to practice this love only if God helps us set aside our own desires and instincts so that we can give love while expecting nothing in return. This is a stark contrast to how our culture defines love. In our culture, we, it's a romantic feeling that quite honestly fades away. I know Joe enjoys referencing Hallmark movies. That's all about the romantic feeling, isn't it? And I can tell you I love my wife dearly, but not every day is that romantic feeling where we push the kids off to the side and sit by a candlelight dinner and stare in each other's eyes. Yes, I enjoy that time, but the reality is that doesn't happen every day. That is a part of being married and a healthy part, but it's not the end-all be-all. So back, I know this is when a lot of you were probably born, but in the, in the 90s, <laughs> wow, I was born in 95. Back in the 90s, there was a movie called Phenomena. It had John Travolta in it. And ever since, my wife, I think we watched it the first year we were dating. Um, the cool part of that story is John Travolta, he was dying of a, of a, of a brain tumor. That's not the cool part, but he was dying of a brain tumor. Um, tumor and he was courting a woman. And this woman loved to make these willow chairs and things of that nature. And it was a small community, if I remember. And I might not have all the details perfect because that was 25 years ago. But anyway, um, she'd make these willow chairs and she set them out for sale. And nobody ever bought them. And then all of a sudden, she started selling them. Selling them and getting more orders and more orders. And she was just excited and thrilled. She was, uh, her fuels, I mean, she was just on fire. And so she kept making more of them. Well, it turns out John Travolta ended up dying of this brain tumor. And then when they, when they went to his home, they opened up the garage, and his garage was completely full of her willow chairs. And it gives me goosebumps because <clears throat> it makes me think of how when you, when my wife and I refer to this over the years, am I buying your chairs? Meaning, am I, am, am I supporting you and what you love? Am I speaking love and affirmation to you? He bought her chairs not because he wanted her chairs. He bought her chairs because it filled her up with love and joy and it encouraged her. And I think that's such a beautiful example. And I, I do have one that relates to my wife and me. So we started dating back in 1996. And uh, I think it was the spring and, uh, of that following year. So 97. I've always been a car guy and a music guy. So I'm in music school and I have a Corvair. Imagine that. And so I had a nice one. So I brought it down in the spring of 97, and when I drove it up to her apartment, which we affectionately called Melrose Place, yeah, you're old enough to know, 
Beverly Hills 90210, all that. But anyway, it was kind of an interesting area. But she lived on the second floor. So I walked up there, rang the doorbell. She comes out. She immediately looks and sees my car. And she gazes upon it from the top floor. Then she proceeds to walk down to my car. She opens my car. She looks in my car. She looks at the engine. I mean, she looks, checks the whole car. Do you really think she cares? No. She was buying my chairs, is what we called. We often refer to that as buying my chairs. So <clears throat> that really blessed me. Um, I knew she didn't care, um, but the fact that she paid attention showed that she loved and cared about me and spoke into my love bank. So typically, um, unfortunately, I fail in this often. And recently, I've been convicted of areas that I have uh, manipulated certain situations to my benefit. So one of the top ones of my love language was what? Physical touch on your list, number one, okay? So um, over the last year, probably, I sarcastically joke with my wife. And yeah, I do pick on my wife. But this is not a, a healthy version of it. And I say, all right, babe, I just need 10 seconds a month of physical touch. That's all I need, 10 seconds. So she comes out in the kitchen, and I say, you just want to get it over with for the month? So she walks over, <laughs> and we hug, and I count to 10 as slow as I possibly can, and then we finish. Now, on the surface, it's funny, but at the core, it's not. Because I am manipulating <clears throat> my wife to speak my love language. That's not healthy. That's not good. And the Lord's convicted me of that. And for that, I'm sorry. <clears throat> Excuse me. A couple of weeks ago, we had the opportunity to go see Blue Man Group in Lincoln at the Lead Center. And on our trip down, I asked Steph, I said, uh, and I've been doing this with my kids too. I said, tell me one thing that you appreciate that I do, as, in this case, as your husband. And also one thing that you wish I'd do differently. And so she shared, and I prepped her. I gave her I think I told her before, we on the way down, I was going to ask her this question on the way uh, home. So she shared some nice things that she appreciates that I do, which I am great to, grateful to hear. But when I asked her, what's something I can do differently? She says, you are good with words, and you mean them when you say them. But I need to see action behind them, or they are meaningless to me. That hurt, to be honest. Uh, those are hard words to hear, but I'm grateful for her honesty. I'm also completely convicted of my failure to love her in the ways that speak to her, filling up her love bank. And after digesting some of these thoughts <coughs> from that evening, a couple of nights ago, I, I turned to her and I uh, was getting ready for bed and <coughs> just felt the Spirit speaking to me. So I don't know if she noticed this, but she was watching something and I walked in the kitchen Turn. <laughs> do I say this now? And I didn't know if it was the right time. I was like, I think it is. So I walked in and I just had to share what was on her heart, and uh, on my heart, excuse me. And at that time, I turned to her and I said, uh, if the Lord took her today and um, if she died, took her home, I would be heartbroken to know that I failed to effectively communicate to her just how much I truly loved her. And honestly, my failure is the result of my own sin and my own selfishness. How frustrating. I get what Paul says. <laughs> when you do what you don't want to do. So feel free to pray for me as I need strength 
and I need to see outside of myself as I love my wife. As I was preparing this message, I ran across an article that really spoke to me, and it was entitled, Love is Not Only a Verb. So listen to that carefully. Love is Not Only a Verb by John Bloom. John Bloom was his name. So I'm going to share some of these excerpts, uh, which I did highlight for you in your study notes. He says, love is displayed in action. That is true. The Apostle John agrees when he says, little children, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and in truth, 1 John 3.18. But it's, it's still a massive, potentially dangerous oversimplification. If we reduce love to mere action, we will miss love at its source. Making love only a verb will likely make us like Pharisees. Because just like you can talk about talk loving without really loving, you can also act loving without really loving. That's what Paul meant when he said, If I give away all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. 1 Corinthians 13.3 We can look like we're fulfilling 1 John 3.18 and still not love. To understand love correctly, we must see that love originates as a noun necessarily and produces a verb. So let me read that again more clearly. To understand love correctly, we must see that love originates as a noun that necessarily produces verbs. So, 1 John 3.16 reads, By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for, for the brothers. Bloom writes, True love is revealed in Jesus' death on the cross. He laid down his life for us, for the joy that was set before him, Hebrews 12.2, in glorifying his father, John 17.1, receiving glory from his father, John 17.5, and the full eternal joy of his redeemed bride, John 15.11. This is what love looks like. Bloom continues, Love is not merely the action of meeting others' needs. It includes the motive of the action. I'll read that again. Love is not merely the action of meeting others' needs. It includes the motive of the action. True love cherishes God supremely as the supreme treasure and therefore wants others to also cherish the supreme treasure and be eternally happy. This has huge implications. It means that true love cannot flourish apart from God. True love cannot uh, flourish apart from God. Bloom concludes by stating, anything that looks like love we do for others, being patient, kind, not boastful, or irritable, or resentful, giving away our possessions, even martyrdom, 1 Corinthians 13, 4, 5, and 3, that isn't done for God's glory with a desire that others may taste and see that God is good, Psalm 34, 8, is not true, vibrant love. Godless love is a hollow shell, a love that that has lost its soul, a flower cut from its root, Godless love is sin, Romans 14, 23. I'm going to read that last section one more time. Godless love is a hollow shell, a love that has lost its soul, a flower cut from its root. Godless love is sin. I don't know if that rocks your world a bit, but it does mine. Godless love is a sin, Romans 14, 23. And so finally, I'm going to quote from John Piper has a book he wrote called Desiring God. And this kind of pulls it together in one last single sentence. He says, Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. Love is the overflow of joy in God that gladly meets the needs of others. 
So, what do we do with all this? <laughs> well, first, you can pray for me, brothers. Pray for me. Application and challenge. I challenge all of us with this. And I believe you'll talk about it in your GCs, and I encourage you to talk about it in your GCs in a month or two months or six months or a year from now. But I have three application or challenge questions or challenges for you. Then they're listed on your sheet. First is, take the opportunity in your personal quiet time to seek God's example of love by reading the scriptures. And then, by turning to our Creator in prayer that we will love others from a position of humility and out of love and reverence for God, and that He first loved us, 1 John 4, 19. Second, reflect on the gift that God has given us in our wife, our husband, our family, our friends, our church. Pray for them and show them how much we really love them, keeping in mind their primary love languages. And last, humble yourself and ask your wife, your husband, your family, friends, how am I doing at loving you? How am I doing at loving you? So, as we've explored today, we know that love isn't the clever manipulation of doing something kind for someone in expectancy of getting something in return. Christ's life, death, and resurrection is the greatest example of love that we could ever observe. A perfect and precious model for us to celebrate and give thanks for from our Father in Heaven. So, if you would please, let's pray as we turn our attention towards the Lord's Supper. Would you pray with me? Father God, um, I thank you for the awkward yet excited position that you've given me today. Now, Father, I thank you for your spirit that guides us. I thank you for your spirit guiding Joe to allow me this opportunity. And Father, I just pray that your words, that your the truth from your word would speak to each of our hearts. I pray that for myself, Father. And I pray, Lord, that these words that were spoken that come from your truth would not just be something that goes in my ear and out the other. Uh, Lord, that I'd be aware of how to love my wife, my family, my friends, my church, you, my Savior, better, Lord. So may this just be the start of a transformation, Father, in our hearts to love each other better, which ultimately brings you glory, Father God. And so, Father, as we turn our hearts and our minds now towards communion, Father. May this be a time where we just reflect and give it over to you, Lord, our sin, our brokenness. May we just realize that you have paid price, an unfair price for our advantage, Lord God. You died for our sin. Lord, we have freedom in that. We have hope in that. Father, may we just celebrate that together as a body, your ultimate sacrifice. Lord Jesus, we love you. Give you thanks. In your name we pray. Amen. You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com.